Chapter Three of Miss Marchbanks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Crandall. Miss Marchbanks by Mrs. Oliphant. Chapter Three. It may be well to seize the opportunity of Miss Marchbanks's travels, through which it is unnecessary to follow her as they have nothing particular to do with the legitimate history of her great undertaking, to explain a little the state of affairs in Carlingford, before the distinguished revolutionary began her labours. It is something like going back into the prehistoric period, those ages of the flint, which only ingenious quarrymen and learned geologists can elucidate, to recall the social condition of the town before Miss Marchbanks began her Thursday evenings, before St. Roque's Chapel was built, or thought of, while Mr. Bury, the evangelical rector, was still in full activity, and before old Mr. Tufton, at Salem Chapel, who sometimes drank tea at the rectory, and thus had a kind of clandestine entrance into the dim outskirts of that chaos, which was then called society, had his first stroke. From this latter circumstance alone, the entirely disorganized condition of affairs will be visible at a glance. It is true, Mr. Vincent, who succeeded Mr. Tufton, was received by Lady Western, in days when public opinion had made great advances. But then Lady Western was the most good-natured creature in the world, and gave an invitation when it happened to come into her head, without the least regard for the consequences. And after all, Mr. Vincent was very nice-looking and clever, and quite presentable. Fortunately, however, the period to which we allude was prior to the entrance of Lady Western into Grange Lane. She was a very pretty woman, and knew how to look like a lady of fashion, which is always of importance. But she was terribly inconsequent, as Miss Marchbanks said, and her introductions were not in the least to be depended upon. She was indeed quite capable of inviting a family of retired drapers to meet the best people in Grange Lane, for no better reason than to gratify her protégés which, of course, was a proceeding calculated to strike at the roots of all society. Fortunately for Carlingford, its reorganization was in abler hands. Affairs were in an utterly chaotic state at the period when this record commences. There was nothing which could be properly called a centre in the entire town. To be sure, Grange Lane was inhabited, as at present, by the best families in Carlingford. But then, without organization, what good does it do to have a number of people together? For example, Mr. Bury was utterly unqualified to take any lead. Mrs. Bury had been dead a long time, and the daughters were married, and the rector's maiden sister, who lived with him, was entirely of his own way of thinking, and asked people to tea-parties which were like Methodist class-meetings, and where Mr. Tufton was to be met with, and sometimes other dissenters, to whom the rector gave what he called the right hand of fellowship. But he never gave anything else to society, except weak tea and thin bread and butter, which was fair, the ladies said, which the gentlemen did not relish. "'I never can induce Charles to go out to tea,' said young Mrs. Woodburn piteously. "'He won't, and there is an end of it. After dinner he thinks of nothing but an easy-chair and the papers. And, my dear Miss Bury, what can I do?' It is a great pity, my dear, that your husband's carelessness should deprive you of the benefit of Christian conversation. But, to be sure, it is your duty to stay with him, and I hope it will be made up to you at home, Miss Bury would say. 
As for the rector, his favourites were devoted to him, and, as he always saw enough of familiar faces at his sister's tea-parties, he took no account of the defaulters. Then there was Dr. Marchbanks, who gave only dinners, to which naturally, as there was no lady in the house, ladies could not be invited, and who, besides, was rather a drawback than a benefit to society, since he made the men quite intolerable, and filled them with such expectations in the way of cookery that they never were properly content with a good family dinner after. Then the ladies, from whom something might justly have been expected in the way of making society pleasant, such as Mrs. Sentum and Mrs. Woodburn, for example, who had everything they could desire, and the most liberal housekeeping allowances, were either incapacitated by circumstances, which was a polite term in use at Carlingford, and meant babies, or by character. Mrs. Woodburn liked nothing so well as to sit by the fire and read novels, and take off her neighbours, when any one called on her. And, of course, the lady who was her audience on one occasion left with the comfortable conviction that next time she would be the victim, a circumstance which, indeed, did not make the offender unpopular, for there were very few people in Carlingford who could be amusing, even at the expense of their neighbours, but it made quite impossible that she should ever do anything in the way of knitting people together, and making a harmonious whole out of the scraps and fragments of society. As for Mrs. Chiley, she was old, and had not energy enough for such an undertaking, and besides, she had no children, and disliked bustle and trouble, and was of the opinion that the colonel never enjoyed his dinner if he had more than four people to help him to eat it. And in short, you might have gone over Grange Lane, house by house, finding a great deal of capital material, but without encountering a single individual capable of making anything out of it. Such was the lamentable condition, at the moment this history commences, of society in Carlingford. And yet, nobody could say that there were not very good elements to make society with. When you add to a man capable of giving excellent dinners, like Dr. Marchbanks, another man like young Mr. Cavendish, Mrs. Woodburn's brother, who was a wit and a man of fashion, and belonged to one of the best clubs in town, and brought down gossip with the bloom on it to Grange Lane, and when you joined to Mrs. Sentum, who was always so good and so much out of temper, that it was safe to calculate on something amusing from her, the languid but trenchant humour of Mrs. Woodburn, not to speak of their husbands, who were perfectly available for the background, and all the nephews and cousins and grandchildren, who constantly paid visits to old Mr. Western and Colonel Chiley, and the Browns, when they were at home, with their floating suite of admirers, and the young ladies who sang, and the young ladies who sketched, and the men who went out with the hounds, when business permitted them, and the people who came about the town when there was an election, and the barristers who made the circuit, and the gay people who came to the races, not to speak of the varying chances of curates, who could talk or play the piano, with which Mr. Burry favoured his parishioners, for he changed his curates very often, and the occasional visits of the lesser country people, and the country clergymen, it will be plainly apparent that all that was wanting to Carlingford was a master hand to blend these different elements. There had even been a few feeble preliminary attempts at this great work, which had failed, as such attempts always fail when they are premature, and when the real agent of the change is already on the way. 
but preparations and presentiments had taken vague possession of the mind of the town, as has always been observed to be the case before a great revolution, or when a man destined to put his mark on his generation, as the newspapers say, is about to appear. To be sure, it was not a man this time, but Miss Marchbanks. But the atmosphere thrilled and trembled to the advent of the new luminary all the same. Yet, at the same time, the world of Carlingford had not the least idea of the real quarter from which the sovereign intelligence which was to develop it from chaos into order and harmony was effectivement to come. Some people had hoped in Mrs. Woodburn before she fell into her present languor of appearance and expression, and a great many people hoped in Mr. Cavendish's wife if he married, as he was said to intend to do, for this gentleman, who was in the habit of describing himself, no doubt very truthfully, as one of the Cavendishes, was a person of great consideration in Grange Lane, and some hoped in a new rector, for it was apparent that Mr. Burry could not last very long. Thus, with the ordinary short-sightedness of the human species, Carlingford blinded itself, and turned its eyes in every direction in the world rather than in that of the Swiss mountains which were being climbed at that moment by a large and blooming young woman, with tawny short curls and alert decided movements, so little do we know what momentous issues may hang upon the most possible accident. Had that energetic traveller slipped but an inch further upon the Mer de Glace, had she taken that other step which she was with difficulty persuaded not to take on the western Alp, there would have been an end of all the hopes of social importance for Carlingford. But the good fairies took care of Lucilla and her mission, and saved her from the precipice and the crevasses, and, instinctively, the heir at home got note of what was coming, and whispered the news mysteriously through keyholes. "'Miss Marchbanks is coming home,' the unsuspecting male public said to itself, as it returned from Dr. Marchbanks's dinners, with a certain distressing— but mistaken presentiment that these delights were to come to an end, and the ladies repeated the same piece of news, conjoining with it benevolent intimations of their intention to call upon her and make the poor thing feel herself at home. Perhaps she may be amusing, Mrs. Woodburn was good enough to add, but these words meant only that perhaps Lucilla, who was coming to set them all right, was worthy of being placed in the satirist's collection along with Mrs. Sentum and Mrs. Chiley. Thus, while the town ripened more and more for her great mission, and the ignorant human creatures, who were to be her subjects, showed their usual blindness and ignorance, the time drew nearer and nearer for Miss Marchbanks's return. End of chapter 3 Recording by Michelle Crandall, Fremont, California, October 2008